Welcome to Oaks Church, where we grow great lives and build big people. Thank you for checking out our podcast. We hope that you're encouraged by this life-changing message from Pastor Joel Scrivener. For more information, visit us online at oakschurch.com or follow us on social media at Oaks Church Texas. Thank you so much for joining us, and I'm so excited to share this message with you today called Scarlet Letters. This is a brand new series for Oaks Church, and I hope that you'll take a moment and click that share button and get this message out there. It absolutely is going to be incredibly impacting for hundreds and hundreds and even thousands of lives. So help us by clicking that share button and putting it out on your social media or whatever. But we're gonna go ahead and jump right into this today because I'm so excited. Uh, this literally is the, the message or the series that I have planned and, and even begin to work on from the before the beginning of this year. It's the most exciting series that I have had kind of jumping uh, within me all year long. So today I'm trying to hold myself back a little bit and make sure that I time this thing out. But I know many of you, especially if you're older, are familiar with the American classic uh, called The Scarlet Letter. It was a, a novel that was written, early, or written in the 1800s, about the 1700s, specifically inside of the Puritan culture. And the story, the novel, was about a woman who uh, had, was sent to America before her husband. Her husband never made it, and then she wound up pregnant, but she wouldn't share who her lover was. And so no matter what they did, no matter how hard they pushed or pressed her, she would not give up. She wouldn't admit anything. And they ended up punishing her and embarrassing her and humiliating her by forcing her to wear a scarlet letter, the letter A for adultery or adulteress. And so it was such a humiliating thing. And it's also so prevalent inside of many religious circles. I hope you know that Oaks Church is not about religion. It's about relationship. In fact, Jesus said that the only pure religion was to take care of widows and orphans and to keep yourself clean from the impurities of this world. We've got to be people that love and are more relational than we are rule stricken and rule following. No one comes to Jesus because of a long bony judgmental finger. People come to Jesus because of the love and the goodness of God. That's what the Bible declares. But I don't know how you grew up or maybe different experiences that you had, but I had been labeled many times in my life, uh, maybe labeled by a teacher as being a class clown or a troublemaker, uh, labeled by certain types of friends that, or, or not friends uh, that viewed me in a certain way, specifically thinking about a time that I was labeled by someone I knew that they told Jennifer that she should stay away from me uh, and that I was not the right guy for her. But thankfully, her mother met me and convinced her otherwise. And in the same way, the first time my parents met Jennifer, they told me later that they knew, they labeled her, they knew that she was my wife from the very first time that they met her. And we were just 19, we were kids, right? So I want you to think about that, that labels can be good or bad. And it's, also, it's honestly a natural thing, right? We're all humans. And humans look at the outside. The Bible is very clear. God actually said of himself that he looks at the inside, but humans look at the outside. So it's a natural thing for us to look at someone or look at a situation and without knowing really what the heart of the matter is, we can judge a situation and that is called 
prejudice or prejudging, right? So in this season and in this time, it's very important that we're taking a moment to really hear the voice of God. And I want to just give you this challenge. This is something that I do on a regular basis. I ask God to give me his perspective about people, about situations. I pray a prayer that's very simple. Father, show me what you see in them. Help me to understand what you love about them. Because it's too easy for humans to look at things and without understanding, make judgments that simply aren't right and aren't fair. This message, Scarlet Letters, that we'll spend the next few weeks on is a very powerful dive into the letters and specifically in your Bible, the red letters that are written on many pages. If you have that type of Bible that is a red letter edition, every single word that Jesus Christ spoke is in the Bible in red letters. And it stands out, it catches your eye, but it's very important, it's very distinct, and I wanna make this uh, point and clarify that Jesus Christ, according to scripture, is the word of God. He is the word of God made flesh. So when the word of God actually spoke on the planet and it was recorded, it's powerful stuff. I once took an entire year and read nothing except for the red letters in my Bible. And it was one of the most transformative years of my life to truly and deeply understand the Lord Jesus Christ, his heart, his, his will, his emotions, his feelings, his thoughts, his words. I would encourage you to maybe accept that type of a challenge and dive in to the scarlet letters that are in the Bible. Why is this so important that we talk about this, specifically talk about the idea of labels or labeling as it was described inside of that old novel called The Scarlet Letter? The reason it's important is because the enemy, the devil, wants to label you. He wants to put a mark on you, a label on you. He wants you to identify with something that is temporary. He wants you to identify with your skin color. He wants you to identify with your economic status. He wants you to identify with your political opinions. He wants you to identify with your opinions. He wants to get you stuck in a trap of having a false identity because of a label that he sticks upon you, that you're more focused on a temporary thing. You're more focused on your whiteness or blackness or brownness. You're more focused on, your, uh, on, on the things you've been through in life, uh, maybe rejection or betrayal. He wants you to focus on the things that you're not instead of the things that you are. He wants you to focus on things that are lower level labels because if he can get you focused on the temporary, he can cause you to slip up and miss the opportunity to connect to the eternal. Why does he want to really bring you into a place of putting a label on you? I tell you, it's, this, it's for this reason. It's because he wants to accuse you. Satan is called the accuser of the brethren, the, the accuser of the people of God. And in Romans chapter 12, it's a beautiful passage. It literally says uh, that then I heard a loud voice in verse 10. Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before God day and night has been cast down. That's a really good thing because he is an accuser, but he has been cast down and Jesus has already defeated him. And as we walk through this series, we're going to walk through some specific and strategic ways that you can walk in victory 
over your accuser. See, instead of focusing on the label that the enemy wants you to focus on, the temporary in your life, what's more important is that we understand the scarlet letters that declare the truths about who you truly are and and specifically what Jesus says about you. It's a great question to ponder. What does Jesus say about you? What does Jesus say about me? What does he say about us? If we can begin to understand what Jesus says about us, because his words are life, his words are light, his words are truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one goes to the Father except through him. If we can begin to understand what those scarlet letters are that Jesus spoke over our lives that contradict and overcome the labels that the enemy wants to put on you. You may have been stuck at a time where you had a label in your life that, that held you back, that kept you from being all that you were designed to be. Maybe you felt like you weren't enough, not smart enough, not talented enough, not rich enough, not born well enough, whatever it is. It's why there's such a battle right now based on identity wrapped up in gender and sexuality. Because the enemy wants you to focus on something that's temporary. He wants you to focus on something that's lower than your true identity, that you are a child of God. You're an eternal being. And if he can get you focused on the temporary, he can keep you from stepping into the eternal. So what does Jesus say about you? I want to take you to a story in scripture. This story is found in the book of John chapter 8. And it's a story that is very much connected to an ancient story that is very closely akin to the story mentioned in the first of this message called the Scarlet Letters. Jesus had been up on the Mount of Olives. He had been praying and he comes down into the city and he goes directly from the Mount of Olives. He comes down the hill. He crosses the Kidron Valley. He comes up uh, onto the southern steps and he cleanses himself there before he goes in. Everyone had to cleanse themselves in the ritual baths that were there before they could go up and into the temple. And when he is inside of the temple, all of a sudden, there's a hustle and a bustle. There's this hubbub, and the religious rule keepers had plotted. They'd been waiting for Jesus, and they brought someone to him. They drug a woman to the feet of Jesus, and they threw her down at his feet. And they said to him, Jesus, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery, What do you say about that, Jesus? Now, interesting that they would know or have access to or have an idea of where to find someone who was caught in the very act of adultery seems a little suspect to me, but it was a plot and it was a trick and they were victimizing a young woman to try to trap Jesus. Well, interestingly, Jesus literally kneels down And begins to write in the dirt with his fingers. No one knows what he wrote. Lots of people have tried to speculate. There's just no way of knowing what he wrote. But as they continued to push him on the issue, verse 7 of John 8 says, So when they continued to ask him, he raised up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw the first stone at her. And again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground 
And then those who heard being convicted by their consciences went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. Very interesting detail that they started walking away, the oldest to the last, each person. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, it says that Jesus was left alone with the woman and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. This is a beautiful story where the scarlet letters of Jesus overcome the label of the accuser. See, chances are this woman was absolutely guilty. But as Jesus pointed out first, she was no more guilty than the ones who stood to accuse her. See, it's oftentimes that those that spend the most time judging and accusing others do so to deflect from their own sins and the things that they feel insecure and know that they are guilty of. Jesus said, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? No, Lord. Neither will I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. I love that last part. Go and sin no more. Hey, don't do this again. I'm not going to condemn you. I'm not going to accuse you. But I'm going to encourage you. Change your life. Repent and step into freedom. Go and sin no more. See, this is not a license. The forgiveness of Jesus is not a license to go live however you want to live and just use up all of the forgiveness and all of the mercy. That's not what this is about. The forgiveness of Jesus is an opportunity for you to step into the love and the appreciation and the goodness of God so that you can be inspired to walk in the righteousness that Jesus has already purchased for you with his blood. Jesus didn't come to condemn you. He actually came to acquit you. See, each of us are guilty of many different things. The Bible's very clear that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's not a single person, myself included, that isn't guilty of some type of sin or simply missing the mark or the target that God has for us in our lives. In fact, if I could be that honest with you, I ask for forgiveness from God almost every day for something. I wish I could tell you how perfect and sinless I am, but I'm a regular guy that deals with regular guy stuff, and I need Jesus in my life just as much as any of you do. None of us are perfect. Jesus is perfect, and we are in the process of him perfecting us, but each and every one of us will need his love, his mercy, his grace, and his forgiveness as long as you are walking on this planet, living in that body of flesh that you live in, you will need grace and you will need forgiveness until you go to heaven and you step into total perfection in the presence of God. He didn't come to condemn. He came to acquit you. See, Jesus is called in, in, in John chapter, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, Jesus is called the advocate that, that, that we have been given an advocate with the Father. 
John in this passage is talking to the children of God. He's saying, children, I pray that you don't sin, but if you do slip and fall into sin, you have an advocate, you have a defender, you, you have an acquitter, you have a lawyer, you have someone that's going to go and fight for you, stand up for you, give good testimony for you, speak to God on your behalf. That's who Jesus is. He's not a condemner. He's not an accuser. He's an quitter and he's a defender. That's who you have in Jesus. I don't know if you've ever had an experience of being defended before. I remember a time in high school, I was a freshman at a new school and uh, I was getting picked on by a big guy that was an upperclassman on the wrestling team. But I had made friends with another guy. His name was Rob. And man, Rob was just a stud, man. He was the linebacker in the football team. He was all muscle. He had the greatest smile, greatest personality. And there was this other guy named Scott who was picking on me and he was much bigger and he was a tough dude and he was, he was giving me a lot of grief. And Rob stepped up and stood up for me and defended me. And this guy started cussing and, and he took the Lord's name in vain in the middle of his cussing. And I remember we were actually at a Christian school in Tulsa called Metro Christian Academy is where I went in my freshman year before I went back to Broken Arrow and finished my high school years. But, but, but Rob stood up and he, when that guy said the Lord's name in vain, he jumped in this dude's faith. I'm with like, like, I mean, just fury in his eyes. And he says, you can say, and he went down this list. Uh, it was the most unholy defense I've ever heard. He went down this list of all these horrific words, said them, you can say, this and you can say that you can say this and that but don't you ever take the lord jesus christ name in vain the lord that gave me my legs and this dude like was like terrified and kind of cowered away and as we walked off i leaned over to rob i said dude what, what happened to your legs he goes nothing man i'm just glad i got them <laughs> Isn't that funny? This guy was so passionate in that moment, but he was my defender. Have you ever gone to someone's defense? I have one more story to tell you, and it's a story where I actually had the opportunity to testify in court. I haven't been in court often. I'm very grateful and thankful to say, but on this specific time, I had a friend who had gotten in trouble when he was young in his early 20s. And he'd gotten caught up in some stuff and people got hurt in the middle of a business transaction. And there were literally millions of dollars of damages and he had gotten accused of things that he had not done. And he had been uh, put into a place where he literally was just in an absolute bind legally. And he was facing incredible jail time and, and a, just a, a horrible, horrible situation. And I'd been friends with him for a number of years. And he asked me to come and be a character witness and speak on his behalf. And I remember standing in front of that judge and the judge was, was a, a tough cookie. And he was, he was giving me the business and asking me tough questions. And, and I was defending my friend and I was standing up for his character and speaking from what I knew of this individual over the last seven years. And then the judge, uh, I mean, he was really hard on me, very hard on me for whatever reason. He didn't treat the other uh, people giving testimony that way, but he dug in real hard on me. He said, so you believe in this guy so much? You believe in him enough to, to help pay back the people that were defrauded, the millions of dollars? Will you help pay that back? And in a moment without even thinking, I said, absolutely, I believe in him that much. Tell me how much I owe. Now, I, the difference is that I had no, no means to actually pay that, but I believed in my friends. 
and, and, it, and it shook the judge. And he ended up making a decision. Now, I'm not saying it was my, to my credit, but I had a, a part of the giving testimony. And he made a decision and gave my friend a significantly lower sentence. And it was a beautiful thing. But listen, that's nothing in comparison to the advocate, to the defender that you have, who actually does have enough to pay the price and did pay the price to acquit you for all of your sins, for all of your debts, for all of your wrongdoings. You have a defender. His name is Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter how big your sin feels, how big your sin looks to you. Jesus Christ shed his blood and the scarlet letters of his words have released you if you've put your faith in him. Can I tell you something today? That you are not your sin. Your sin, your shortcomings, your failures, that's not your identity. That's the number one thing the enemy wants to convince you of. You're, you're, you're just a drunk. You're an abuser. You're a cheat. You're a liar. You're a gossip, you're a betrayer, you're a convict, you're hopeless, you're not smart enough. He wants to convince you that the things that you see as deficits, the things of your past, the things that you may have been guilty of. See, this is the greatest trick the accuser can ever play on you is to convince you you're still guilty of something Jesus already paid for. Oh, can you, can you wrap your heart and your mind around that today? That the enemy wants, every time you focus on your guilt, you've bought into the enemy's trick, the enemy's trap, because Jesus died 2,000 years ago to pay the price for the sins that you hadn't even sinned yet. And when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. When God looks at you, when you stand before the judge of the universe, God sees the blood of Jesus Christ that covers you, the robe of righteousness that you wear, the garment of salvation. He sees the identity of Jesus Christ upon your life, and he says, not guilty. Oh, can you let that sink in today? Not guilty. That's the verdict for you. If you've given your life to Jesus, if you put your hope in him, not guilty. That's your verdict. Don't listen to the accuser. Don't listen to the war that wages in your mind. See, the apostle Paul, he, he, he said, he, one time he said, look, it means very little to me that you judge me because I don't even judge myself. What an amazing statement. We, we can be so judgmental and we can be so hard on ourselves. The apostle Paul said, I don't even judge myself. God is the only judge. We'll all stand before him one day and, and, and mostly we'll stand before him to answer for what we did, the decision we made with his son, Jesus Christ. Have you made that decision? Have you made that decision to give your life to Jesus? Have you made that decision to, to put him as the centerpiece of your life? You're going to have the opportunity today to do that. I want to share one more passage with you. This passage is found in, in, in Romans chapter 7, verse 19 through 25. And I'm, I'm, I could read it to you, but I'm just going to tell you about it, and I'm going to let you check it out yourself. This is a, an amazing and a, and a beautiful passage where 
Paul is describing the internal warfare that's happening inside of his life. And he's talking about how he wants to do what's right, but he keeps messing up. He, he wants to do good, but he keeps doing evil. The things that he hates, he keeps finding himself doing. He says, there's a war waging inside of me that I, that I, I love God's law and, I, and my spirit cries out to do what's right, but I keep doing the wrong thing. And then he has this moment of, of understanding. He said, but what I've come to realize is that it's not actually me doing those sins. It's sin living in me, in the nature of humanity that's committing those sins. It's not me. He disassociates himself with the acts of sin that he himself had committed because he understood that he had a truer nature, a truer identity. His spirit nature was aligned with the identity of who Jesus Christ is in his life. And that identity, the spirit identity that is aligned with the spirit of God overshadows and supersedes the lower nature, the lower identity that's prone to sin. And he had a moment of what I call Holy disassociation. That's not me. The, yeah, that guy that just sinned right there, that's not me. The real me doesn't do that. The real me is identified with Christ. The real me has been resurrected with Christ. That's the real me. That, that thing that would happen right there, that's not me. That's sin nature living in me, and I disassociate with it. See, if the enemy can keep you associated with your sin nature, he can keep you in a prison of shame and guilt that Jesus Christ has already taken care of and already paid for. We've got to learn how to disassociate with sin and identify ourselves with our Savior. Doesn't mean you won't mess up from time to time, but when you do mess up, you get up quick. The Bible says that though a righteous person falls seven times, they rise again every time. We are people that get up, dust ourselves off, and get right back at it. We got to be people that move on quickly, that forgive quickly. We don't hold grudges. We don't look for faults and wrongs. We, we don't look to point out uh, problems in, in situations in other people's lives. We focus on the good. We see the good, and we, and we intentionalize speaking life and speaking truth and releasing the identity of Jesus Christ upon people. There's a time in my life where I had a couple leaders that wanted to give me a critique. And, and they gave me a critique of my leadership skills. And their critique was that I saw too much good in other people. And I wasn't critical enough of other people to have a realistic view or a critical view of people that would help the organization. And I remember thinking to myself and laughing under my breath, thank you for putting that label on me. I don't know if there's a more Christ-like label you could ever put on someone that they're too good at seeing the good in other people that they overlook the bad. I hope that, that, I hope that you're guilty of that. I hope that you learn the skill set 
of looking past people's shortcomings and failures. That doesn't mean that as a leader or as a coach, we don't identify and speak to and bring correction and elevate. But if we don't learn how to be like God, to be like Jesus enough to see the good in other people, how will we ever be able to see the good that he sees in us and declares in us? Because if we're giving judgment, we'll be reaping judgment. Whatever you sow, that's what you reap. We've got to be people that identify with our Savior, and we disassociate from sin, and we learn to live our life on a higher level. I want to pray for you right now. Maybe this is the day that you're introduced to Jesus Christ, that you identify yourself with him, that you make that decision that I mentioned earlier, the most important decision you will ever make in your entire life. What are you going to do about Jesus Christ, the one who paid the price for your sins and acquitted you for all eternity? What are you going to do with him? The Bible says that if you believe that he rose from the dead and you, and you confess him as your Lord, that you can be saved. Today, you can move beyond the temporary and you can move on to the eternal. Would you pray with me and make a declaration? of your new identity in Jesus Christ all across uh, the United States, people that are watching right now, let's pray together. Say this with me. Say, Father, today I give myself to you. I align myself with you. I'm not going to allow the enemy to trip me up, to focus on guilt and shame, mistakes, and labels that Jesus Christ has already paid the price and acquitted me of. I believe Jesus rose from the dead and I declare today he's my Lord and Savior and I will live for him. I am innocent. I'm not guilty. I'm redeemed. I'm free, and I'm going to see and say the good in the people around me as well. In the name of Jesus. We hope this message has blessed your life. And if it has, we want to invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the Give button. On behalf of Oaks Church, thanks again for listening, and have a great week.